of you chumps are gonna bow when I whoop him. All right, yeah, I know you got him. I know you got him, dick. But the man's in trouble. I'm gonna show you how good I am. Ladies and gentlemen, you now rocking with the best. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast time. I am Brian Olson. You know, many business owners have been reaching out asking about when and who to offload their tactical tasks to, as they often find themselves buried in non-revenue generating activities and not being able to spend enough time on why they got into business to begin with. Well, my guest today is here to offer much needed guidance and a solution to this issue, and he's none other than Nathan Hirsch. Now, Nathan is an entrepreneur and expert in remote hiring. Most recently, Nathan co-founded FreeUp.com in 2015 with an initial $5,000 investment, scaled it to $12 million per year in revenue, and was then acquired in 2019. Today, Nathan is a co-founder of Outsource School, a company working to educate entrepreneurs on how to effectively hire and scale with virtual assistants through formulas and playbooks. Nathan, it's great to have you. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, no, I am excited myself. Now, I have to ask you, what were you doing before you founded FreeUp.com? So I was a a longtime Amazon seller. So I've actually never had a a real job, so to speak, after college. I had internships and summer jobs and stuff like that as I was going through school. And my parents had me get jobs at a young age. But I started a, a pretty large Amazon business out of my college dorm room back in 2008, 2009, which I started off hiring college kids to help me run that business because they were the the people around me. I was 20. I wasn't going to go out and hire adults, but college kids proved to be very unreliable, which is how I got into virtual assistants to begin with, which led me to starting FreeUp. That's awesome. What was your number one seller on Amazon at that time? So I did a lot of trial and error on Amazon. I spent a good year failing at selling a lot of things until I came across baby products. So if you can imagine me as a a 20-year-old single college guy selling millions of dollars of baby products out of my college dorm room, uh, that was me. But everything from like those fake computers that that babies play with, uh, uh, strollers, car seats, we were drop shipping from US manufacturers. It was a a different time. (laughs) I want to ask you how you figured out to go there, but uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was honestly trial and error. Like back then, there there weren't the the Amazon softwares uh, available to find best selling products. It was throwing stuff online, calling different manufacturers, seeing who would work with me, and seeing what worked. And and then we kind of finally just came across it. Well, there you go. Now, what led you to forming FreeUp.com? So as I was scaling this Amazon business, I was hiring VAs and freelancers and learning a lot about them. And I eventually came up with a really good hiring process because I kind of saw them as a a solution for my problems, but it still took too long. Like if I posted a job on Upwork or or wherever, I get a hundred applicants and yeah, I could put them through this great interview process that I had perfected, but it still took forever. So I was like, what if there was a a marketplace specific for Amazon sellers? Cause I was an Amazon seller at the time. And that would already pre-vet applicants before they let them on the the marketplace. Um, So there's like an already a layer of vetting plus just had great support. If anything went wrong, they would take responsibility. They'd make it right. They'd cover replacement costs. So I built a marketplace for freelancers and Amazon sellers that pre-vetted VAs before it let them on the platform, before uh, not anyone could just create an account. We only let in 1% of people that applied. We matched people up quickly. We only gave them one to three options. 
So it took a lot less time. And then on the back end, great support and, and a no turnover guarantee. And, and that was kind of the concept that eventually evolved uh, to be a lot more than Amazon sellers. So awesome. I love it. How long did it take you to scale to 12 million a year and how did you do it? Yeah. So <laughs> we started with a $5,000 investment and we did a million dollars the first year, five in the second third in the, the, or it's nine in the third year and 12 in the fourth year before we were acquired. And I honestly, we, we didn't spend any money on ads. We had a great affiliate program for both clients and freelancers. So people were constantly referring themselves. We went on podcasts. We focused a lot on backlinks. We worked on getting influencers in the e-commerce space and the marketing space to, to promote us and all these things we did with virtual assistants. And it's part of what we teach at Outsource School. That's awesome. I love it. What would your advice be to entrepreneurs and business owners to scale their businesses like you did? Yeah. I mean, I, I always hate like blanket advice statements. Like for me, hiring is just such an important part of business. And so many entrepreneurs are just focused on funnels and learning the latest marketing tactic. If you can't hire, none of that matters. You're, you, at best case scenario, you're going to create a job for yourself. And what being good at hiring allows you to do, and hiring is a skill you can learn, it allows you to, to really cover all your weaknesses going forward. And whenever something comes up, a project comes up, it's never you have to drop what you're doing and do it. It's always, hey, how do I just get that right resource to do it for me? So it opens up just so many opportunities. So even if you're just hiring your first VA for five hours a week, learn how to hire. It's going to help you in everything you do going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll definitely dig into the virtual assistants in a minute here. What led to your decision to actually sell the business? So... I mean, we didn't wake up in 2019 in January and say, hey, we got to unload this thing by the end of the year. Uh, I mean, one of our clients reached out to us and they said, hey, uh, we, we love free up. We, we bought a bunch of other companies before. Uh, we want to get into the VA freelancer space. We don't want to start it ourselves. We, would you guys be interested in being acquired? And, and like anything else in business, we hear people out and um, we answered some questions for them. They ended up coming back to us with an offer that we felt like was more than fair, if not aggressive. And I mean, there were other factors as well. I mean, at the time, we, we didn't know a pandemic was coming, but the economy was at an all-time high. We thought that it's possible over the next four years that at some point it, the economy goes down. We didn't really know how. Um, but more than that, I mean, we had scaled our first company ever to do $12 million a year. And getting from zero to 1 million is different from getting to one to five and getting to five to 10 is different. And getting from 12 million to 25 million a lot of things have to change there. And we're, we're kind of, we have a lot of people depending on us. We have clients, we've got freelancers, we have our internal team of VAs. So is it worth us trying to figure it out? And maybe we do, but, but maybe we don't. Or does it make sense to say, hey, we've mastered scaling businesses to this level. Let's sell it to someone who can, who's already done that, who's already grown businesses well beyond and, and take it to the next level. Now, we did a lot of due diligence on who we were selling it to and, and made sure that they had the same values and core beliefs. We made sure our internal team would get taken care of and all of that. So, And there are more factors as well, but that's just a little bit of what was going through our mind. No, it's great. No, I love it. How long did it actually take to sell? It was a long process. It was about six months from when they contacted us to when we finally signed the agreement. So sometime mid-year is when we first talked to them. But the, the deal ended towards the end of November. I think it was like November 19th or, or something like that. And yeah, it was a, a long process. It, and it wasn't their fault or, or our fault. Um, it, actually, the longest part of the process was just when the lawyers got involved. And, and I, I think the, the beginning and the, and the closing of it was 
fairly straightforward. They were very reasonable. We were very reasonable. There was a lot of due diligence, but we we're very organized. And, and and they bought other companies before. They even told us, like they'd send us an email with 20 questions and we'd have it back to them in like a few hours because we had all of our documents, all how everything works and who does what in every single situation uh, already written out for them. So that part didn't take as long, but once the lawyers uh, got involved, it, it kind of just slowed down to a uh, uh, a really turtle-like pace. And I mean, their lawyers are trying to protect them and our lawyers are trying to protect us. And we're also not our, 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 the only client for all lawyers. So they have other stuff going on. So that, that ended up being the, the most time consuming part of it. Yeah. And you got to love those red lines, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, what led you to start Outsource School? Yeah. So we sold it in November. We spent the holidays off celebrating with our families. And then we came back in January and the first conversation my business partner and I had was, Hey, are, are we sick of each other? Do we still want to work together? And luckily he wasn't sick of me and, and vice versa. And we said, all right, let's, let's see what we like and what opportunities come up. So we started doing a lot of just research, reading books, listening to podcasts, networking, and talking to other people that had gone through sales or that were starting businesses in different industries. We didn't know if we wanted to get into real estate or start another company from scratch or buy a company or invest in a company or, or what we wanted to do. And people started reaching out to us and asking us if we could teach them our systems, our processes. So we designed this course called Cracking the VA Code under the brand Outsource School. We we kind of had the mentality that we'd take it to market. And if people liked it, we, we had this idea of turning it into a membership. And if people didn't like it, we'd just refund everyone and move on and try something else like, like entrepreneurs do. So we launched, we ended up launching the week that COVID hit, which was pretty terrible timing. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it did well. People really liked it. And we kind of built off of it from there. It's awesome. Congratulations. Now, I know there's so much noise coming in business owners right now. I mean, they're juggling multiple projects. They have goals. What should their primary focus be in your eyes? Their primary focus. I mean, it, it depends on where you are. I'm a big proponent of minimum viable products. Like with the Amazon business, I didn't put too much money or too much time into anything until I actually saw that it worked. With FreeUp, we launched it with a very crummy software that that just didn't have very many functions. It was kind of just a basic recording time platform. And we took it to market and only when people liked it, did we spend, reinvest money and spend more time on it. Very similar to outsource school. I mentioned we, we started with a course and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are so focused on building the perfect product or, or the perfect backend systems when they're just not focused on prove that you can actually sell it. <laughs> and we, Connor and I, we go into different companies for minority equity and, and come in on a strategic level and help them scale. That, that's something that we do uh, outside of, of outsource school. And a lot of times it, it's coming in at that time where, hey, you need to prove that you can actually sell this thing. Yeah, there's a million ways you can make it better and have upsells and and do all these different changes of the business. But before we do any of that, let's make sure you can consistently sell. Let's make sure you have a sales pitch that works. Let's make sure you have answers to all the questions that people are going to ask you every single week. And and to me, a lot of people skip that step. Yeah, it's unfortunate for sure. And I know also businesses are struggling to communicate effectively and engage their teams due to being remote. What's your advice on building a company culture remotely? So culture comes down to, to three things. You have to spend time figuring out what your culture is because every business is different. If you have a business partner or a leadership team, spend time tomorrow figuring that out. 
Second, you need to hire people that are an exact culture fit. And if you already have people that are not a culture fit, you need to get rid of them. Uh, when people, it's almost impossible to take someone who's not a culture fit and turn them into a culture fit. It's a big waste of time that, that rarely works. So figure out what your culture is and make sure your hiring process is only hiring people that fit that culture. And no matter how talented they are, if they're not a good culture fit, do not hire them. And then third, you have to do things to maintain your culture over time. And remotely, that's things like at the beginning of every Monday morning, people show us pictures of their weekend and their family and stuff they did um, as a bonding experience. We do uh, a monthly happy hour. We focus on what we call our, our BARF method, which is a funny acronym, but it's getting them to buy in showing appreciation, building relationships with them personally, and creating a family inside your team. And all those things can get done remote, whether it's Zoom, Slack, but you do have to make sure that that's a part of your daily and weekly routine inside your business. So who wouldn't be a good culture fit for your company? So we don't like yes people, like people who just say like, yes, Nate, you're my boss. Uh, I'm going to do it or whatever. Like we want people who bring their own ideas to the table. Uh, We want people who love working, who are incredibly passionate about what they do, who come in high energy every single day, ready to roll and are less focused on uh, like, I just work for money. There's a lot of people that are like that as well. We like people who take feedback um, without taking it personally and love feedback and thrive on feedback. I'm the kind of person that I'm always listening to other entrepreneurs or my customers or my team. I want to know how I can improve what I'm doing wrong. And I'm not in the mentality that like, it's my company. Like I've had some success in the past. Like what I say is right. It's no, you're always trying to get better. And it doesn't mean you have to implement every piece of feedback instantly, but you're at least aware that that feedback should be taken. So that's just some of the things that we look for in people. And even if someone was great at lead generation, if they didn't fit those things, we still would not hire them or continue to work with them. So how can you tell if somebody's a good culture fit from the interview process? It's part of our interview process. We have a, a, what we call our care interview process, which is culture, attitude, red flags, and experience. And we go through who they are as a person, why they worked at, at past jobs, what kind of teams they like working with, all those kinds of things to, to really understand who they are. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs when they interview people, they're so focused on the experience, the background, the track record, the results they'll get when hiring them. But we spend equally as much time focusing on who they are as a person and what they want in a job um, as we do as the experience. And that's when you really get down to it. Nice, nice. Now, I know that you know, great leaders know when to take the reins and when to delegate. You know, in your view, how can a business owner determine when and what tasks to delegate? Yeah, so what I like to do is figure out, well, first you have to understand that there's three different types of levels of people you can hire. You got followers, you got doers, you got experts. Followers are there to follow your system, your process. Doers are like the graphic designers, the writers, the video editors. You're not teaching a graphic designer how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're there to do that one thing at a high level. And then the experts come in with their strategy, their systems, their processes. So Everything that you do, you either need to hire a follower, a doer, or an expert. And it comes down to, do you know how to do it yourself? Do you have a system for it? If the answer is yes, you hire a follower or a virtual assistant. I consider virtual assistants followers. Um, or do you just need something done, but you don't need a strategy component? Like I need my a website design and I know exactly what kind of website I want hire a web dev, doer, or do I need someone with a marketing strategy or a UI strategy, UX strategy, whatever it is um, to actually come in or, or bring their systems to the table. So when you understand those, then you start dividing up 
every single part of your business into those tasks and you say, Hey, I need customer service done. That's a follower job. I need social media done. I don't know how to do social media. I need an expert to come in for that. And then if you're, if you're depending on where you are, you need to go more on getting the experts. If that's a big bottleneck in your business, or if you're just working 12, 15 hours a day and you know how to do stuff, then you start prioritizing those following tasks from easiest to hardest and start shipping away at the top of that list. Now, I know at Outsource School, you guys are educating businesses how to utilize virtual assistants, right? And that's very popular. These days. Some people don't know what a virtual assistant is. We'd love for you to expand on that and really define the term virtual assistant. So really, the virtual assistant is the, the followers I was talking about. You might find VAs that have tons of experience, but the way that someone else does something is not the same way that you want something done. So a virtual assistant, five to 10 bucks an hour, usually non-US. We hire a lot from the Philippines. Again, they have years of experience. We don't want to hire someone who's being a VA for the first time. They don't even know if they like being a VA, but you have to give them systems and processes to follow. And the other thing to keep in mind about the followers compared to the doers, like the doers, I have three graph designers. None of them are consistent work. Whenever I have a project, I go to that group and I say, hey, who can get this done? Set a due date, due time. Um, and, and I never say, hey, you need to do this right now. I, I know they have other clients and, and we look for mutual agreements to, to get projects done. And over time, I'm building, building a Rolodex of these doers that I can go to because every time I have a project, I don't want to have to post a job and interview people. I want to already have a group of graphic designers that I know will get the job done. But with the followers, since you're investing time and energy into training them, into training the virtual assistant, it has to be consistent. It can't be five hours one week, 20 hours the next, 10 hours the next week. They're going to go out and get another client. And then when you want to increase their hours again, they're not going to be able to do it. So it doesn't have to be full-time. I have plenty of VAs that are part-time, but it does have to be consistent. If it's five hours a week, it's five hours every week. They don't, they don't have to guess whether they're going to get their five hours this week. If it's 20 hours, it's 20 hours every week. So that, that's what you should think of when you think of a virtual assistant. No, absolutely. Now, what are some advantages of hiring virtual assistants? If somebody is to ask you, hey, why should I do this? What would you tell them? Yeah, I mean, there's a cost factor of it. I mean, if you hire, a, let's say, a customer service rep in the US for 15 bucks an hour, which isn't a high rate, isn't a low rate, but how long are they really going to be happy at 15 bucks an hour? Best case scenario, if they're a rock star, and you spend time training them, eventually they'll want 18, eventually they'll want 20. If you hire a VA in the Philippines for five bucks an hour, which I do a lot, and they're a rock star, which happens when, when you follow our, our outsource school processes, give them a $2 raise, a $3 raise. They're going to be with you for a very long time. On top of that, there's time zone advantages. We live in a, a an era where businesses just run 24-7. So we have people that work at night. We have people who get stuff done when I'm, when I'm sleeping. We have people that work weekends. And you can set up your business with those time zones. It also just gives you access to a lot of different talent from all over the world at different price points and pure flexibility of what you need in your business instead of just limiting yourself to full-time people in an office in your hometown. What about interviewing, onboarding, and managing a team of remote VAs? Is it, is it difficult? I mean, it, it's difficult if you do what I did, which was spend trial and error trying to figure it out. I mean, that's really why we started Outsource School. We have an exact process that we've used for all of our companies to interview, to onboard, to train, to manage, and to set up VAs for different positions because hiring a VA bookkeeper is slightly different than hiring a VA for sales or lead generation or other roles. So 
all of that, we give you step-by-step in outsource school. And I think we've kind of proven the concept now that hundreds of entrepreneurs have gone through outsource school, that they can take it and quickly implement it in their business and make interviewing a lot less daunting and a lot easier. No, absolutely. No, I can already hear what the detractors are saying. They're saying that why not just hire somebody based in the US, pay them a decent salary instead of hiring overseas and having to pay someone like yourself to train them on how to do it. Why not just hire somebody here? What would you say to that person? Well, I'll also say that our hiring process works on US people, just like it works on non-US people. It's all very similar. So you still have to learn how to hire. If you don't know how to hire, you're going to struggle hiring US people or non-US people. So we're teaching you how to hire. Um, Now, there's a personal preference in there. If you want to go hire US people, go for it. I hire US people for certain things. But but what hiring VAs allows you to do, it allows you to save money on the following roles so you can spend more money on the doer and expert roles. And the doer and expert roles, you can hire a lot from the US. So it, it, there's also plenty of companies that can't afford the US person. I've seen it where companies will hire a few VAs to get them off the ground. Then they get to a good point and then they hire US employees. So they didn't really lose an employee's job over it. They actually created US jobs because they were able to hire virtual assistants. And I've seen other companies that gone through an outsource school where they actually give their employees their own virtual assistant so that they're paying an employee 50K a year, they're, that employee is spending 90% of their time on 50K a year tasks instead of 25 or 50% of their time on repetitive tasks that can get done for five bucks an hour. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it outside of, um, is it US or non-US? Yeah, no, I hear you. Now, you guys focus mostly on Philippine hiring, right? Why hire from the Philippines? So like I said, the hiring process we teach at Outsource School work whether you hire someone in the US, India, Philippines, Mexico, whatever it is. Now, what you don't want to do when you're hiring virtual assistants for the first time is hire two people from the Philippines, two people from South Africa, two people from India. You're just adding a lot of extra work to your plate. There's different time zones, different cultures, the way you communicate, the way you manage. It's all going to be different and there's going to be a learning curve. So start with one place doesn't have to be Philippines, but I personally think the Philippines is a great place to start. They are used to working U.S. time zones because BPO, the telemarketing, telecommunication industry is very popular there. They learn English in school. They consume a lot of the same media, like books, video games, um, all of that, movies. Uh, they they are used to the, the VA remote world a, a little bit more than, than other places. And we have a whole like hiring from the Philippines 101 video at Outsource School. But the bottom line is it all just comes down to the learning curve. You want to stick with one place because that makes it easier for you. And and from my experience, the, the smallest learning curve from U.S. To, to outside the U.S. is in the Philippines. No, no, fantastic. Now, as far as what you've seen before this, you know, people that outsource, what are the most common mistakes you see people making when they're doing this? I mean, there's a lot, lots of common mistakes. I would say the most common one is just not setting proper expectations. That's really our, our, our onboarding process that we call the sick method. And people, they'll hire a VA and they'll train the VA and then they'll realize the VA and the client are just not on the same page with what's expected. And it all comes down to the expectations that, that you set up front. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Now, where do you see the freelance or the, you know, they talk about the gig economy. Where do you see the heading over the next few years? I know there's been, you know, you talk about Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, all of these companies. There's been some controversy. Where do you see it going? 
I mean, I, I think it's only going up. I think even before COVID, more and more people were working remote and, and, and having that flexibility. And obviously COVID has kind of changed everything. So I don't think it's going away. I think that the gig economy is here to stay. I think people like working remote. I think from the hiring side, there's a lot of benefits. I know there, there have been for my businesses for not having an office, not having overhead, not having to deal with a lot of the stuff that you used to have to deal with 30 years ago. Um, so I, I just see it increasing going forward. That's great. Now, I know you've been an entrepreneur for many, many years. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned? If you can offer any advice to any emerging entrepreneurs or business owners, what would it be? Yeah. Like I said, get that minimum viable product out there. Try lots of different things and double down on what's working and, and pull back on what's not. I, I always like to say, I, I love low risk, high reward situations where you can try something and if it works great, you can do more of it. If it doesn't work, yeah, you lost a little time, you lost a little money, but you move on to the next thing. And that's how you come across a, a lot of gold mines. Nathan's been awesome. Any last words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Yeah. If anyone wants to learn more, if anyone wants to master hiring and get access to our systems, our process, go to Outsource School, uh, OutsourceSchool.com, set up a call with my team. You talk to one of my virtual assistants. Uh, they're awesome. They speak perfect English. They'll answer all your questions and you'll be able to see what it's like to have a rockstar team and see if Outsource School is right fit for you. Awesome. Now, Nathan, one last question, just a personal question to, know, to get to know you just a little bit better. Now, you're going to be on an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? <laughs> um, so I'm actually not a, a big music person, so I'll skip that. I like Catch Me If You Can. It's my favorite movie. And, and Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss uh, is my favorite book. It's right behind me. I know we're not doing video, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. Great recommendation. Nathan, it's been awesome. How do people get in touch with you personally, connect with you, learn more about your business? Yeah, you can follow me on social media, Nathan Hirsch, but the, the best way is go to OutsourceSchool.com and check out everything we have going on there. Nathan, it's been great. Have an awesome rest of the day, awesome weekend. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work, sir. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.